In the wake of all these recent shootings, including Uvalde, it's even more important that we as a society destigmatize mental health and that we learn to have these real kitchen table conversations about how we're feeling and to normalize these kinds of topics. Today's guest is Eric Darosa, and he is the founder and co-host of the From Survivor to Thriver podcast, and he's here to upend mental health conversations. Join us to find out more. Soul Nectar Show, the Soul Nectar Show. You're invited, delighted to discover who you are. Anything is possible if you believe. To join us on this beautiful journey. Soul Nectar Show, Soul Nectar Show. Before we start this episode, I, Carrie Hummingbird, and I, Akeem Sami, want you to know that you are invited. You're invited to, to join, join Soul Nectar Tribe. If you like what you hear on Soul Nectar Show, you will love being in person with us in Soul Nectar Tribe. We invite you to check it out. First 30 days is free. Right now, go to CarrieHummingbird.com. K-E-R-R-I, hummingbird.com, forward slash membership, and sign up. We'll We'll see you at our our next tribe tribe gathering. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Nectar Show, that show where we talk about all things essence, where we gather around the campfire and we share our stories of connection to that which is bigger than us, to the great mystery, beyond the veil, to those synchronistic moments that lead us inexorably towards a deeper understanding of who we are and why we're here on this planet. I'm your host, Carrie Hummingbird, and I love to have these conversations week after week, bringing you inspiration and a way forward through the madness that we experience in this earth existence and hopefully uh, a way and tools and inspirational stories to guide you through in your own life and you know I'm personally really feeling so much on my heart Uh, this year has been a challenging year mental health wise we've had so many examples uh, given to us of um, you know just the madness of our society you know just it's just peeling back the layers and and we're seeing just how crazy and in fact is and I knew this years ago because they told me I was crazy for feeling things and um, I needed to stop feeling things and here's a pill like stop feeling things and I did that for a while and then I was like I can't do that anymore because I can't feel myself and I don't think that's right and I stopped taking those pills and I was like you know I'm just going to find another way Sure enough, I got presented with a spiritual teacher and then like more teachers and more teachers and more teachers. And, and eventually, you know, I, I, my world got turned right side up (laughs) because I opened up to a higher level, uh, version of me. I opened up my, I am presence into the I that's timeless and I let that I guide me in my choices. And then my life started getting a lot better. And, you know, we're, we're in this really just such a fascinating experience um, having it made so clear to us that our level of consciousness as a nation in the United States and and really I would argue any um, 
Western consciousness um, nation is now facing, you know, the dark underbelly of our consciousness and the choices that we've made. And we're getting this opportunity to really ask ourselves, is this what we really want? Is this what we want? Is this who we want to be? Is this the part of the matrix we want to live in? I love the work by, um, by uh, recently Power Versus Force, Dr. David Hawkins, who talks about um, the vibrational scale of human consciousness all the way from the lowest vibration, which is shame, all the way up to enlightenment. And he talks about that full range and like um, that's the spectrum that we live in. And when we live in the lower vibrational states, we live in force. That's all the control stuff. That's, you know, that's that force energy. And when we live above courage, courage is the marker that turns us. Courage turns us from force into power. And for me, that power is love. That power is that unconditional love vibration that we can hold in our hearts and in our minds and in our in our lives. And so as we, you know, as we approach this interview today, um, I've brought a guest on that has a personal experience of shifting out of um, PTSD and and this idea that he, you know that he was you know unhelpable you know this kind of a, many of us get these ideas and you know and that it's it's like somehow it's not okay to be not okay but maybe it is okay to be not okay I mean this stuff out there that's happening right now is not okay and so how are we supposed to be okay when it's not okay it's it's not okay. So what are we going to do? So today's guest is um, Eric DeRosa. I welcome you, Eric, to the show. Thank you for being here. Hi, Carrie. Thank you so much for having me on. And as we talked about very quickly on on our the pre-show, I can't think of a more important yet or better time to be a guest on your show. Yeah, it's like ideal. I mean, you're so Eric is the his is known by friends and clients as Yoda. So <laughs> I'm I'm already excited. And is an inspirational speaker and the founder and co-host of the From Survivor to Thriver podcast and is upending the front end of mental health conversations along with his co-host Mark Fernandez. And every week they tackle different mental health topics through honest and relatable kitchen table conversations with real people who are helping to shatter the mental health stigmas and find their voices. He aims to normalize discussions around mental health topics and remind his audience that they are not alone, that there's strength in community and that it's okay to not always be okay because some of this stuff is really messed up. So um, Eric traded in a successful career as a New York City finance executive when he moved to Colorado with his wife and two cats, and he hasn't looked back since. And he also spends winters as a ski instructor and sits on the board of Sacred Cycle, a Colorado-based nonprofit whose mission is to empower survivors of sexual trauma through mountain biking and community. And he's born and raised in New England. And, you know, I also was born, I wasn't born in New England. I was born in Texas, but I was raised in New England. So we have that in common. We have that New England thing. Um, yeah. So I'm excited to have you on the show, Eric. Um, you know, we were talking before we started the broadcast about some of the tragedies that have been happening. You know, 27 school shootings as of this broadcast in 2022 alone. Um, that is just, that's insane. And this is the world we're living in, in the United States, and it's heartbreaking. And, you know, I wonder what, what wisdom you have to offer us about how to overcome, like, all this PTSD. Sure. Well, you know, 
thank you again for having me. And, and I want to say, you know, I know you live in Texas uh, and, you know, my deepest condolences for what's happening there right now. And uh, when I, when I said I couldn't have picked a better time to come on your show, I feel like right now with everything that's happening um, it's such a pivotal moment for us as a society, but also for those of us who are either advocates for or who are and and i count myself in both of these categories i am part of the mental health community right so you you had mentioned you know ptsd and, and we can get to that in in a few moments but uh one of the things uh i found and i mark and i were recording our own uh podcast episode this morning with a guest and we found ourselves having uh, you know the very same conversation around what's happening uh, in the state of our country, but also globally and this debate that's going on. And, and one of the things he and I have been working so hard on in the past 18 months with our show uh, and with From Survivor to Thriver is looking and helping to destigmatize mental health conversations and the destigmatize the whole issue of you know mental health. And what I've really seen in the in the past week especially since the school shooting in uh, uvalde texas is suddenly people re-stigmatizing and people blaming mental health and mental illness for these these terrible tragedies and terrible mass shootings uh, but also saying you know we need more funding and we need more resources and more accessibility uh, and one of the things i found myself doing recently is is really saying, well, why can't we have, why can't we hold two thoughts and, and two discussions at the same time? It's extremely important and we must continue to fund mental health and we must make it more accessible to everybody, right? Full stop, no, no, no debate about that. But why can't we also at the same time hold space for a second thought, which is, well, maybe there's a, there's another issue going on, right? If we look around the developed world, Australia, New Zealand, uh, the United Kingdom, Canada, other, other countries like the United States where the mental health statistics are almost exactly the same. Uh, we don't see people uh, wielding guns, mass shootings, killing children in their, in their schools. And so to me, right, there's, there's something else unique going on in this country that isn't happening around the rest of the world. And, and, uh, and you and I were talking about it a little bit at the beginning of the show. And, and it's this whole issue around, you know, gun safety. And, and I've also found myself and my wife, uh, as we talked about this a lot, um, you know, maybe the, maybe the conversation needs to be about both mental health, but at the same time, rather than you know, saying let's take away guns or let's control guns, right? Because I think that's where a lot of people uh, get uh, very defensive around the issue. If we talk about something in terms of safety, I think that's something that everybody can get on board with. Um, and so I found myself having these two thoughts now at the same time. Let's talk about gun safety and let's talk about the importance of funding and making accessible mental health care in this country. You know, I I so resonate with this idea of gun safety. Um, you know, I'm not a proponent of guns. I'll say that's not my my um, perspective. And I also know that I don't have the only perspective. <laughs> so there's you know eight billion perspectives on the planet. I have one of them. My perspective is that when 
the consciousness is elevated to love that guns won't even be a question anymore that's just that's just not a choice that will be on the on the spectrum when we have a love-based consciousness we have a fear-based consciousness very clearly you know we are in the force part of the spectrum we are in the fear-based part of the spectrum and as a large like that is what leads that is what has most of the energy um, you know, right now. And so you asked the question of what makes us different. And I was thinking about this this morning because I was like, I think what makes us different is that, you know, we, we have looser controls over guns and we have less structure for our youth. So those two things together, you know, I remember I mean, okay, I'm one of those people that was diagnosed, right, with a with a one of those diagnoses that they don't that you don't want to have. That's right. Right, it made me a dangerous person to be around, or something like that. <laughs> well, I I it's, yeah I know what it feels like to have impulses that you don't have the power to restrain. Yep, and, you know, and it's interesting. So you were ta- you're just talking about diagnoses, and uh, one of the things I now, I celebrate my diagnosis. I celebrate the fact that I've been diagnosed with PTSD. Uh, and, and I gave a talk last uh, Monday to a uh, high school district uh, across the country in New Hampshire. Uh, and one of the things I talked about was being diagnosed with PTSD and how those four letters changed my life. Uh, for so, 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 so long, I was living in a world of anxiety, OCD, so the physical manifestations of OCD, the counting, the neatness, what people, you know, traditionally think OCD to be, but I also suffered with the intrusive thought side of OCD, which to me was was very terrifying, and it felt extremely real. And so those two pieces helped lead to the anxiety spiral. And for so very long, it was always I was being treated for the symptoms, but not the root cause. Uh, and I've listened to you know, several of your, your episodes. And, and one of the things that really resonates with me is, is this theme I've heard about one, you know, healing trauma, but also healing the inner child. And so for me, uh, once I was given that PTSD diagnosis, which was only six months ago. uh, So here I am, I'm 50. um, I finally have something that I can grab onto and say, yes, this is, this is something that I have. It's not who I am. It does not define me, but it's something that I have and it is treatable. Uh, and so once I sort of got that diagnosis, I was able to, to start working on my inner child. I was, start, I was able to start looking at my past childhood traumas. I was for the first time actually able to look at, I lived in New York City on September 11th, 2001. Uh, and really until I started to do all of this trauma work, I had no idea that the impact that 9-11 had on me, not only on that day, but for the remaining 10 years that I lived in New York City and for the 11 years, you know, since then, since my wife and I have moved to Colorado. And so, you know, you're just getting the diagnosis of PTSD has unlocked so much for me uh, and has allowed me to start to, to look at myself in a much different way. 
Oh gosh, I love that you brought that up because that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's kind of like in the fishbowl of New York City, there was this hugely traumatic event that that sent a wave of fear around the whole planet and just despair and grief and horror. And and here you were in the heart of that of that sort of event and that cataclysmic event, and you're receiving in daily basis, daily doses of that fear saturating your consciousness. Absolutely. And and when I when I now talk through it with my therapist, I was already living in a world, let's call it the fight or flight world, right? Anxiety, OCD, always looking for physical manifestations of control over my intrusive thoughts. Uh, and then constantly worrying about those intrusive thoughts. When would they come back? How would they manifest themselves? Um, and so I was already battling with that through my high school, through my middle school years, my high school years, my college years, into my grad school and, and into my you know, time in New York City. Then layered on top of that suddenly is 9-11. Uh, and so it took what was already, you know, an over overworked fight or flight, you know, part of my brain um, and just completely and totally elevated it. And my wife and I now talk about how there are things in our daily lives when we were living in the city that we didn't even realize that we were concerned about behaviors that we changed. Uh, and so as I went through uh, two dissociative episodes, uh, psychotic breaks, nervous breakdowns, however we want to define those now, the first being in 2004 and the second being in 2006, it's become even clearer to me that it was a combination of both the PTSD from the childhood trauma, the emotional trauma that I had been subjected to, but it was also the PTSD of living in New York City on, on a day uh, which, you know, I, I can sit here right now and I can put myself exactly back into the spot where I was sitting, what it looked like outside, you know, what the, the temperature that day, and then, you know, how it was like a light switch got thrown on. Um, and the entire city was transformed, you know, in a, in a heartbeat. Yeah, that, that is, whew, it's, you cannot underestimate the impact of the long-term impact on the psychology of any person connected with that event and then rippling out. So you're kind of at the epicenter and then the influence of that spreads, right? It's like, it's like a bomb went off and like a bomb of fear and like it just spreads out. And so I was affected by it all the way in California. I could feel the surge of energy all the way in California. Well, you know, it's, it's yeah, interesting. I mean, yeah. And, and for the, for the longest time, and I'm glad we're talking about this because whenever events like, uh, you know, what happened in Buffalo, what just happened in, you know, Uvalde, Texas, uh, what happened in Sandy Hook, or now I, you know, I live in Colorado, but I wasn't here at the time, uh, you know, Columbine. And so whenever these events happen, um, I immediately, you know, am, am brought back to uh, being in my office, you know, 850, 840-something uh, in the morning on September 11th. Uh, and, you know, and all of the feels and, and, and how my world kind of changed that day. Well, but 
for the longest time, when I would have conversations about 9-11, I would find that I was very separated from it. Uh, and when I would hear people talk about 9-11 uh, who weren't in New York City, and, and I would just have that conversation, um, it would take me some time to actually remember that I was actually there. Uh, it, it, and I, I think part of it has, has been, you know, 11 years now outside of New York City and, and Colorado has very much become our home. Uh, but I think for so long, I tried to block out the memory of that day. Uh, and then the years that followed after that, uh, that I really started to look at myself from the outsider perspective. Uh, just like my friends who weren't there, you were saying you were in California. I've heard a lot of stories about people who are watching uh, morning shows that day and they suddenly cut in. Uh, and so I, I started to feel as though I was one of those people uh, until it happened to come up in a conversation with my therapist about two months ago. And we were just talking about traveling and I was talking about how, you know, I left when I left New York City, uh, I didn't feel like I left New York City at peace. I, I felt like there was, you know, a, a very... Um, a very strong, uh, I don't want to use the word hate, but, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't leave New York City on good terms with, with the feelings that I wanted to. And I was looking for a way to be able to go back there to kind of put some of those pieces together and put it to rest. And in the course of that conversation, I said, oh, yeah, and by the way, you know, I was, you know, thinking about 9-11 and boom, kind of everything came out. Uh, and she said, yes, you know, it's, it's, you can have PTSD, on multiple levels, which for me, just hearing PTSD for the first time six months ago, I thought I can't possibly have PTSD. I, you know, I wasn't in a war. I wasn't in the, I didn't serve in the military. Uh, and so we had a, a, a long education on what PTSD really is. Uh, and then we had the secondary conversation that yes, you can have layered PTSD and there could be PTSD related to different pieces and parts of your life. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, you know, it's been uh, a very fluid journey for me over the decades, but I will say the last six months have been this, you know, tremendous awakening for me uh, in terms of really discovering who I am. And as you said at the beginning of this show, uh, that, you know, I've moved through it. Um, I was, I was deep in it for a very long time and I've moved through it and yeah, I've embraced it. Uh, and now through the podcast and through the other work that I do, uh, it's all about, you know, helping others. And, and I want others to know that they're not alone on their journeys and that they can overcome it as well. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I feel like these, uh, well, I mean, I believe that everything is, has purpose. You know, I, I mean, I believe that this is soul school and that, everything that's happening is for us, for our improvement somehow, our edification, our experience, our soul mastery. And, you know, that is a difficult pill to swallow when you first swallow that pill. But then once you've swallowed it, you go, okay, how is this for me? And you could see how, um, what a lesson these things are for us in humanity about how we want to show up in our with ourselves and in our lives and just also the exploration of our consciousness like you were talking about like i mean would you ever even think to explore your inner consciousness and your inner child if you hadn't had some experience like this i mean it wouldn't probably even occur to you to to go back and and check inside and get to know your inner child 
No, not at all. It, it's something that had never crossed my mind. So if we, if we back up in terms of when I first started therapy, I was 34 years old, 33, 34 years old. I was living in New York. Uh, I had, had a, my, my first dissociative episode. And so prior to that time, you know, I, I can think back to when I was seven. And that's when my first real conscious thoughts of uh, you know, intrusive thoughts and, and, the, and the physical feelings of anxiety took place. I had seen a child psychologist one or two times my mother uh, had brought me to him, but there was really no further follow up work that was done. And so in my 30s, as I was working with my psychiatrist, and we were talking through issues, we were really talking to what OCD was, what anxiety was, why I was feeling those things. Um, but we never really had an opportunity to drill down deeply, like I have, you know, in the past six months into this whole inner child and trauma work. And what's been really cool is my therapist here in Colorado, we've actually named uh, my inner child, little Eric. And so we're very, very conscious about me doing things uh, to, you know, give little Eric safety and security uh, and show him that, you know, the world is a fun and joyful place uh, and that big Eric is in a place of safety and security uh, and joy. And, and it's my opportunity uh, now to kind of give back to him things that he never had a chance to have in his childhood. Uh, and, and I'm recognizing now how much that's healed me as an adult and how much and for how long that was kind of the root cause of what was holding me back and creating so many of these, uh, so many of these issues for me in my, you know, my, my college years and my, my twenties and my thirties and, and even into my forties. Yeah, when you when you kind of broach this territory, it's is miraculous and it's fascinating, and it's also really for me illuminating about how um, I don't know just how complex, but also um, in a, fragile is not the right word, but highly impacted our consciousness can be um, from sm even small things. I mean, some people have PTSD off of re you know relatively small things. Other people makes big things, right? So. It's, it's a spectrum and, and you can't really say like somebody shouldn't be experiencing that they're experiencing what they're experiencing something landed in their brain and it, and it made some impact that we don't understand and then that changed everything it started you know causing these symptoms and experiences so i feel like there's so much we don't know about human consciousness even still that it's a it's sort of like we need to slow way down like yeah, i feel we, like we, we need do. to slow it way down and way, way down. We had a conversation this morning on our show and we were talking, you know, as I had mentioned, we were talking about the events that were taking place and, and then we were delving into our guests' particular, um, you know, background and, and grief that she had gone through. And that exact same thing came up about, we really need to slow things down. And this is, I feel like what's, what's happening in our society right now, uh, you know, COVID, here we are, 20, mid-2022, uh, people are still dealing with both the physical symptoms of COVID and all the variants, but with COVID anxiety. So there, there's a really big trauma event that's been occurring globally now for, for well over two years. 
and then we have you know the mass shootings and then we have uh, an unprovoked war taking place uh between you know russia and the ukraine right and so we're we're constantly now getting bombarded by news of these events whether it's social media traditional uh print media channels um or even just kind of having conversations around the dinner table these things are coming up and rather than taking some time as, as one of my friends likes to say to sit with it <laughs> and just think about it we're all so quick to want to come up with a solution and rush to an answer uh and, and as you said i think that's one of the things that we really need to do at this present moment is we need to sit with it and we need to see what does it feel like for me I, i've talked a lot recently about you know meeting me or meeting yourself where you're at we're all so good now at adjusting and, and trying to meet other people where they're at but i think this is one of those times where we need to meet ourselves where we're at and take some time to reflect on on how all of these events happening both here in the us and globally are impacting us how it's impacting our mental health and how it's impacting those around us yeah. And what's the opportunity? You know, I like to also ask that question. It's like, because I see these, I don't know, in my own life, the stress and the down dive in the darkness was a doorway. It was an opening for me to see life through a whole new lens and to live my life from a whole different structure, a whole different foundation. And, you know, granted, it's taken about 10 years, you know, since I made that decision and it to actually land, arrive with a foundation of love. And it's taken a while because why? Because the complexity of the subconscious, like to go in there, to, to, to have awareness, you know, it's like we need to slow it down so we can witness, right? Because if we're so, if we're moving so fast, we can't even witness it. And it's like, and then the realization that everything is that I'm witnessing is part of me somehow. So for example, when I heard about the shooting and I, you know, heard my mom talk about it and she told me how she felt and I felt her, her, I mean, she feels it. She feels everything. She always has, um, you know, that, that's just, that just cracks your heart open right there because that's, that's connecting, that's connecting me with my mom. Like that's, that's the impact it had on us. And we're not even in that town. I don't even know anybody in that town, but that, that it's affecting all of us because it's it's like the human we're all connected i mean we want to say that we're separate but we're not we're it's like the the mushrooms and mycelium networks in the ground it, they connect to everything else like the trees I and mean, they go down and they have their roots they're connected in with the soil and that's connected with everything else humanity is all connected with each other but we're just trying to deny it and and that's what's getting us in trouble i think it's like this idea of being separate yeah no you're absolutely right we are all totally connected and I would I want to I want to think that everybody's first reaction upon hearing that news was was a deep sense of sadness right and uh, and I think one of the things that's been happening as these events have been taking place um, is it's happening now with so much regularity that people are no longer shocked by it they're no longer surprised by it I think some people are also finding it difficult to you know to carry that same level of sadness every time it takes place. So it's almost like being a little bit numb to it. 
And so we're not giving ourselves the opportunity to really move through the grieving phase um, collectively as a society, right? Being so closely you know, connected to one another. And I think what's happening is so many people are getting stuck and caught at the anger phase. Uh, and so as the anger comes, rather than processing it and trying to move through that, they're stopping at anger and they're quickly reacting. And so we've got people on you know, both sides of the spectrum who are very quick to, to respond with, with talking points, even before, uh, in some instances, the event has, um, has come to a close. <laughs> and I'm just looking at this, this last one in Texas, you know, within 48 hours, how it unfolded, uh, the facts around it completely and totally changed from what we first heard, right, when the, when the news broke. And, and so because we're, we're very connected like that, I think as people, as some people respond in an angry way, other people shut down and close down um, and get very defensive. And, and so you're, you're absolutely right. Because we're so connected, we need to take that time as a society to sit and we need to talk to one another, but we also need to listen to one another. And, and, and we need to be more willing to listen to other people's points of view um, and not judge each other so harshly as, as we're so apt to do in, in today's society, whether it's over a keyboard, uh, a phone call or a text. Yeah, I, I know that very well because I spent a good part of my life being in that judgment and that quick reaction, right? And, but you know, what I've learned is that if you give something some space and you open your heart to it and you, you know, sort of like that old adage of like, imagine put yourself in that other person's shoes and try that on, you you realize things with some space and contemplation. And, you know, one of the things I realized and is that everybody, you know, it's, it's not out there. It's in here, right? You were talking about your inner child. Like it's not in the past. It's not done. It's still in you. It's in you now. Your experience in New York City, that is still there. It's it's part of this matrix that is formed part of your consciousness. So it's part of you. Everything we hear and see on the internet, everything we take into our consciousness, that's all part of us. And even what we feel and perceive without even knowing that we're connected to it, we feel and perceive it. I mean, there's been lots of people I know that are very um, empathetic and sensitive who have been really going through a lot of hard times this spring and just like having needing lots of downtime to cry, to grieve, to process. And, you know, my, my invitation is that I think if more people were embracing this kind of work, if more people were letting themselves actually open their hearts and feel what they're feeling, I think there would be, uh, we, you know, we might be able to clear the pH of the fish tank a little bit. Yeah. I love that. I love how you talk about, yeah, the pH of the fish tank. You know, every once in a while, the, you know, the fish has to take, be taken out, right? And you have to clean the tank and then you have to put some fresh water in and fish goes in. And, um, and it's, it's the same thing with what's going on, you know, around us. And, and I also think we need to, we need to welcome this idea of vulnerability as well. And, and it's, it's something that I love to talk about on, on our show. I love to talk about it just, you know, in general with my friends and, and other people, it's, it's vulnerability is a strength. And when we go through some of these really difficult experiences, whether we go through them uh, individually with, you know, for me, it was, you know, 
coming to terms with my trauma and uh, and and working through that, or if we go through a collective trauma, like we have been on a kind of a global scale now over the past couple of years, it's important to be able to reach out to people and to be vulnerable and to show what our true feelings and emotions are and to have those have those difficult conversations and to be able to say openly and honestly, hey, I'm not I'm not okay today. Uh, and knowing that you're saying that to somebody who isn't going to pass, any kind of a judgment, but they're just going to be there to lend, you know, a, a helpful ear and they're willing to listen. And, and oftentimes that's, that's a very big first step in us getting to feel and, you know, differently and, and feeling like we're taking the steps to be able to, you know, move through it as opposed to kind of putting that facade up uh, and putting all the defense mechanisms up and saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, you know, this isn't impacting me. And then somewhere down the line, as that builds and builds and builds, like that bottle of two liters bottle of soda that gets, you know, shaken up and suddenly you twist the cap a little bit and the whole bottle explodes. Um, and so I think we all need to be more aware of, you know, ourselves being vulnerable and opening ourselves up to other people um, so that we can both share our, our own uh, traumas and be willing to hear, you know, what other people are experiencing. And together, we can grow as a society by both listening and experiencing those things together. Yeah, hearing each other's perspectives and then, right, slowing down long enough to notice that you have some repressed feelings that you need to actually feel, you know, and process and be with. It's, um, it's, I've slowed down a lot this spring and as everybody else has sped up, I slowed down. And it, it gave me the opportunity to really feel like the nuances, the nuances and, and just the refinements of things and like place myself in that position. <clears throat> you know, I, I, when I, when I think about, you know, a lot of people might condemn the boy, right? Like condemning him for what he did or condemn his mother or condemn his grandparents or somebody, you know, somebody has got to be to blame. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, the thing is, Sometimes when you're a mom, you, you're doing your best and the child is still having problems, you know, is still, is still experiencing a silent struggle, you know, and that silent struggle I feel is pervasive in the youth, especially the masculine youth at this, uh, this time, you know, this like 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year olds, they're like, it's, it's almost like there's there's so many of them that it's hard for them to speak what's actually going on. Maybe they don't even have the words to speak it, but they're just, it's like this rage. It's like this um, inner turmoil. And like what you were talking about, like the intrusive voices and things like that. I feel like there's just a whole wave of that going on. And, you know, I don't think kids know how to process that. And if we don't give them the tools, they're not going to know how to process that. I think the only thing that's that's really helped my my son who's gone through some of this is that I was there, you know, is that I have all this, that I've done all this work on myself, that I've gone deep diving into my consciousness, that I, I you know, I spent all this money and time <laughs> learning about energy healing and, and you know, shielding my energies and all of, you know, clearing negative thoughts and energies, like all of this stuff that I've learned. I, there's so much I've learned. I pass it along, you know, but not everybody has had the time or the understanding that they could claim those tools for themselves. Right. So 
if they if they don't have the tools, how are they supposed to get through it? It's exactly. not an easy experience. No, it's it's an extremely difficult experience. I think back to when I was 18, I was in my sophomore year, uh, freshman into my sophomore year uh, in college. Uh, I had I had no idea that there were other people out there just like me. I I thought that what I was suffering from was something unique. Um, and if I dared speak about it, people would uh, either, you know, think, and I'm, I'm going to use air quotes here for, uh, for your listening audience, they would think I was crazy. Uh, I thought somebody's going to put me in handcuffs. Like I, I can never allow anybody to hear what's going on in my head. And I better make sure that nobody ever gets this visual image of me not looking like I'm completely and totally put together at, uh, at, at all times. And, and you brought up what's, I think just as important is not only allowing space for those of us who are experiencing it to be able to speak, but for those around those who are experiencing it to it's be a able lot. to speak. It's a lot. And it's a, and it's a two-way street and it's a two-way conversation. Uh, and, and I only wish that I had had the ability to do that when I was younger, like your son has, uh, because I, I would be in a much, I would have been in a much different place much sooner in my life. Uh, but you know, as I look back on it now, you know, I, I went through it so that I have a story to tell, uh, so that other people may not have to go through it in the same way. And I can share that experience. Uh, but my hope is as more and more people begin to speak openly about this and as more parents are armed with some of those tools to be able to, to see from the outside, Hey, something doesn't look right. Even if my child isn't speaking to me about it, that they feel comfortable enough having those difficult conversations, uh, that more and more people, uh, will begin to look at this whole topic of mental health in the same way that they look at physical health annual physical, go to the doctor. If you, you know, if you blow out your knee skiing and, uh, and I'm going to my therapist tomorrow and I'll meet you for coffee when I'm done at four o'clock. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and I want to say like for the, all the, you know, the parents, like pay attention to your intuition. Like if it's, if your intuition is just dinging you ding, like bing, 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 like don't ignore that. Slow down, like slow down, listen to it, breathe, lean in and have that uncomfortable conversation, you know, really open it up without judgment. Like, it's okay. Tell me what's going on. I'm totally open to hearing what your reality is, what you're experiencing right now. And the thing is not to react to it or not judge it, you know, because um, it can be scary, you know, to be someone's mother and have, and then have them tell you some of these things. Um, but also, you know, what I've noticed, honestly, Eric is like, what I've, what part of what I had to go through was like, was like this, um, you know, the, this narcissistic mother thing, like they're like the wanting to be the perfect mother. And like, you don't want your child to have any problems and you just want to put a good face on for the world. Like everything's fine. It's like, you're part of the problem too, because just be humble. Like we're all humans. We're all in a journey it's it's not you know it's a messy journey embrace the mess lean into the mess it's not a problem that it's happening it's an opening it's a doorway it's a portal to something that with far greater potential and if you if you embrace it that way it, it becomes everybody can embrace it it becomes uh, yes. you know it's open now 
Yeah. And, and one way that I've started talking about it that I think gives some people better perspective is, uh, you know, one out of five people in the United States suffers from some type of mental illness, but five out of five people in the United States don't have it totally together all the time. Uh, and, and I think, yeah. we need, I think we need to remind ourselves of that, that it doesn't have to be, you know, out of the DSM manual and you don't have to be clinically diagnosed with some type of a mental illness, uh, that, there, there, we're all going to have days that might not be so okay. And we need to be willing to acknowledge that whether we're a parent, whether we're a student, whether we're a kid, whether we're a grandparent, whoever it is, we need to raise our hands and say, Hey, I'm not having such a great day today. Uh, can I talk to you about it and know that you can have that conversation. And the person on the other side is going to say, wow, you know what? The other day I was going through something just like that. And here's what I did. And here's how I went about helping myself to feel better. That's the kind of world that I want to see us move toward. I think we're, we're still a very long way away from that, as, as some of these conversations I've seen in the past week have demonstrated. Uh, but I'm not going to stop working toward it. And, and that's kind of the, my goal and, um, and, and the hill that I'm going to die on is I want to make this conversation, a kitchen table conversation that we can have just like, uh, you know, people talk about, you know, sex and, and how taboo that was, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, not having that conversation. And now, you know, everyone's having it at the, the dinner table and, you know, smoking cigarettes or, you know, I'm in Colorado, so the whole uh, idea of you know marijuana has been been out and open for for so long now. Those conversations are taking place at dinner tables everywhere around the country on a nightly basis. Those same conversations around mental health should be taking place at dinner tables around this country on a nightly basis as well. Well, and I want to add to that conversation just a little bit. Yes, and. And what really needs to happen is that every single person needs to claim responsibility for the state of the consciousness that produces these events. Because it's not just, you know, as a person who is a healer, you know, and a person that woke up sooner, uh, I've noticed that a lot of people in that role, they end up getting scapegoated, like as if they're the problem, just because they're cracking at the seams and showing you there's a problem that I want to reverse that. Like, it's not, it's like, they're just the early warning system. Like that person is just telling you, Hey, this thing is going on for everybody. And I'm just your early warning system because I'm sensitive and I can't hold it all together the way you do, but this is happening for you too. Like, this is what's going on inside of you, even if you're not aware of it. And, you know, and this is a problem in our society. So like, like, just see people that are actually actively talking about this and, or even the person that's actually actively having an, an issue with it. Like, they're the, they're the roosters. They're the early warning system. That's all. Oh, totally. Uh, and, <laughs> I mean, and, and I, you know, in my, in the, my latest iteration of my journey, I've done a lot of work on the Eastern side. Uh, and, and, this is exciting. It's the first time I'm going to actually talk about and mention this uh, in a public space, but it's been floating around in my head uh, for about a week now. And I, it was based on a conversation I had with somebody last week. Uh, and it's this idea of what I call my healing triangle. Um, and, and for me, I call it my equilateral healing triangle uh, because it's, it's based in a foundation of, you know, traditional Western talk therapy, medication, cognitive behavioral therapy, psychiatry, right? So I have that one piece. 
I also have this other piece uh, on the Eastern side with my energy healer and it's, and it's Reiki and mindfulness and meditation. Uh, but the third piece that I'm really starting to recognize is equally important is this whole idea of nature healing and, and being outdoors and all the things that I do skiing and mountain biking and how that has really helped create a foundation. And so I can kind of take this triangle equilateral triangle of healing and i can kind of flip it on any of its sides and there's still a solid foundation no matter what side i flip it on but at the same time if i remove one of those corners the whole triangle comes apart uh and so it's exactly what you were saying you know for me people who are in the healing space are so so very important uh it's given me so much in my my energy healer uh, has given me so much energy insight into you know what energy means to me and how uh, what's happening both within me and around me impacts you know my life uh, and it's made it so much easier to then be able to talk about it with my western therapist and it's been so much easier to then go out and do all these amazing activities in nature um, and be able to ground myself and understand why I'm feeling the way I am at certain pieces and points in time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love nature. That's why I teach earth-based spirituality <laughs> because it's healing. It's very healing to be outside. And I think everybody can experience that, you know, I mean, it was without any training whatsoever, you can just walk outside barefoot and get some healing, you know, so oh, it's the easiest kind of healing there is hug a tree, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. And that's the thing. It's not some, to me, it's not some magic like no. elixir or pill right walk outside barefoot on the grass like close your eyes right kind of feel the grass under you go for a walk with a friend uh it doesn't have to be something and and for so very long in my life and i've now realized that it was distractions for me i always did everything zero to 100 so uh if i was going to ski well i had to ski all day every day for the entire ski season i couldn't allow myself to take a break or let my body relax because hey it's skiing and that's what makes me feel good uh, mountain biking same thing like even on days when i wasn't feeling my body wasn't feeling it i still went out there and and forced myself to do it and and i've recognized that that dial can go from zero to 20 or zero to 10 or zero <laughs> to 30. And if I don't an feel adjustable like adjustable dial, exactly. And if I don't feel like doing one thing on a particular day, well, maybe I'll sit down and I'll journal for 30 minutes. And that gives me the exact same, you know, release as if I went out and rode my bike for three hours. That's what I needed in that particular day. And that's coming back to that idea that I mentioned earlier, which is meeting, my, meeting me, meeting yourself where you're at on any particular point in time on any particular day because um, it is going to change constantly throughout the day throughout the year throughout you know um throughout however long yeah what you're describing is the kind is from the four agreements they call it do your best and you know doing your best means being present with where you are in the moment and adjusting accordingly right do your best yeah yep. that's and that's beautiful. all i think you know that's all we're uh, many of us are are trying to do right now we're just trying to do our best and trying to be the best versions of ourselves right at this present time uh, i'm a better version of myself now than i was six months ago uh 
in two years from now, I, I can come back on this show and, and I'll probably say I'm a far better version of myself then uh, than I am right now. Um, and it's, it's that willingness to embrace it. It's that willingness to look at our in, inward at ourselves, um, at what we need to do to make ourselves you know, feel better. Um, and we really have to be willing to be vulnerable um, and to, to admit that the journey itself, uh, I always used to talk about it as being nonlinear. Um, and, and I hear nonlinear being used so much now. I like to think of it more, my, my element is water. And so I like to think of it as fluid. It's that journey is, is ever changing. Uh, it's like a river. Um, and, uh, and rivers, you know, they, they're, they've been here a lot longer than we have and will continue to be here a lot longer than our physical bodies will be here. And so I, I look at those journeys now as, as these uh, fluid flowing rivers. Yes, the river of life, so to speak. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> so, well, beautiful. So uh, I thank you for sharing all that. That's gorgeous. I love the metaphors. I love the visuals. Um, and, I, and I think the way that people are going to find you is your podcast, right? I'm going to put a link to your podcast or surviving to thriving. Yes. Yeah. So people can find our podcast is called from survivor to thriver. Uh, it, we have episodes come out every Tuesday morning. We're on Apple and Spotify and all the major, major players. Uh, we also have a Facebook page from survivor to thriver. And so you can go there, you can, uh, see both the videos. We have teaser clips. Uh, we put up interesting articles and some stream of consciousness thoughts throughout the week. Uh, we really have tried to make that page an active community page for people to get as much from it as they want to contribute to it. Uh, you can also find me. Uh, I'll, I'm on Facebook under my name, E-R-I-K. DeRosa, D-A-R-O-S-A. And on Instagram, my handle is at Ski Sherpa, S-K-I-S-H-E-R-P-A. And there you'll find an interesting and fun mix of, of my mental health journey, uh, what we're doing on the show, uh, but also what I'm doing on the snow in the wintertime and what I'm doing on the mountain bike in the summertime. Fantastic. Well, I will put all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much for contributing your wisdom there. Okay, everybody. So if you thought this uh, episode was helpful, please share it out, like, and subscribe and all the good stuff. And that's how we keep the, keep it flowing and the wisdom flowing and somebody might find it like just bam, because you shared it. Okay. We're going to give kisses. You want to help me give kisses everybody, Eric? Here they come. Yes. yes. Okay, everybody. Here they come. We love you. Love you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thanks for... Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you Thanks next so time. <laughs> Bye for now, everyone. If you found even one gold nugget in this episode of Soul Nectar Show, will you do us a favor? Will you subscribe, like, and share this episode? Maybe even write a comment and let us know what you thought about it. We really, really want to engage with you at a much deeper level. Let's be part of community together. Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show. Soul Nectar Show. Awaken Take a sip from the drip of nectar from the source of who you are.